Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello again. Here I am. I'm back. Um, before, before we get going, um, I'm going to figure out how not to make that noise. Um, huh? Just don't breathe. That's right. That's the answer. Just don't breathe. Um, I think it is a good thing, um, since we're talking about the Beatitudes, uh, to read the Beatitudes at the beginning of each service. I'm just going to make that a thing right now. Um, so can you guys stand one more time? I promise I'll let you sit down after this. Um, we're just going to read the Beatitudes before we start. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he, spent, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. You can have a seat. All right, perfect. Um, welcome again. Uh, my name is Nathan Komar. Um, Nate Komar, whatever you want to call me. Um, I'm on staff here at CCF. Uh, I'm the, uh, the administrative guy. I do a lot of the background type stuff. And I do enjoy the background type stuff. Um, so, not usually. But I also really enjoy Sunday morning announcements. When I was a, when I was a student, I was... I was a small group leader for like two semesters, and I was like, man, I am uh, small group leading. I am not a great small group leader. But then I did Sunday morning. I was like, man, I love this. I love like talking to you guys um, and being up here and trying to make you feel welcome. Uh, that is me. Here are a few pictures as uh, that's the thing. Um, here's a few pictures of my family. Um, yeah. So the bottom left here, this is me riding very terrified a very terrified state riding a go-kart with my younger brother he's a freshman here this year he's not here today um he's back home um but that was last summer i think um we were in a two-seater car and i was very scrunched like it, it's it's not meant for someone my height and his height to share that same go-kart um those are my parents that's my mom on the left i pointed to my dad and i said my mom uh that's my mom dawn on the left yesterday was her birthday happy birthday happy belated birthday mom um when you hear this uh, and that's my dad. That's Jim. They look so happy in that picture. That was actually at a Tampa Bay Rays game. My dad is a part-time scout for the Rays. And he, uh, we went to Tampa over the summer. We watched the Rays play the Cardinals in Tampa. And obviously, uh, my dad wanted the Rays to win. Uh, they won on a walk-off home run. My brother is a Cardinals fan. And so my, there's my brother just like smiling in agony kind of on there in the corner. And my dad is just so elated. Um, and there's my wife, my lovely wife, with... Uh, that little tiny kitty cat. Look at that cute little thing. Um, that was at our friends, Greg and Heather. Uh, Greg was a roommate of mine back here in college. They have like six cats. They actually, 
they're both vets, and so anytime they see a cat that's in need or any animal that's in need, they just like want to bring it back in and rescue it. Um, so that was their newest cat. What was his name? Do you remember his name? Cinder. That was his name. Um, and then finally, uh, there's just a couple other random pictures I had. I was just looking through pictures, and uh, this, this is, look at this. All three past, pre the current president and the two former presidents of CCF in the same room at the same time having a draw. It was amazing. Um, there's Hank. Where's Paul? Paul's right there. Emma's not here, but she was here uh, last weekend. It was awesome. They're all in the same room. That was, I was in, I was awestruck. Uh, and then that is me, just the go dogs. We were talking last night about my dislocated shoulder. Uh, that, that's just, uh, thank you. That was from tie-dye, clearly. Uh, it's just a funny picture, but also, you know, poor in spirit, go dogs. It kind of seemed right. Um, it's, it seemed right. I was very poor in spirit, but not for, not for my lovely Truman Bulldogs. Okay, um, that is me. So if this is your first time with us this semester, welcome. Um, you're joining us in the midst of a series diving into the Sermon on the Mount, especially the beginning of Jesus's, essentially the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And as Reed said, his sort of manifesto. And so today we have Beatitude number one. Codename Kids Next Door, anybody? Okay. Uh, poor in spirit, or description, not prescription, Jesus and Harvey Dent, or Cindy Lou back at it again, as she, as she often does. Um, so on Wednesdays, we're looking at the sermon as a whole, while on Sundays, um, we're specifically focusing in on the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Fun fact, did you know the Beatitudes are also in Luke, Luke chapter 6, just a much more condensed version. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about that, but in sermon discussion, we possibly could. Um, but we're here talking about the first beatitude um, today. Reed introduced us last Sunday by giving us the framework of the beatitudes, describing what it means to be blessed in the way the word is used in the beatitudes. Um, if you remember, it refers to living the good life now. Um, they are already blessed. They are living the good life. He gave us a little flavor of each of the beatitudes. Today, we dive into the first, the poor in spirit. On a side note, I think it is funny um, comparing the sermon I had last year to this year. Last year, it was like drinking from a fire hose. I had the entire book of Luke. Just like sort through this entire book of Luke and pick something out of it. Um, and I guess they heard my grumbling, and they said, here is the remedy. This time you get one single verse, 13 words. Enjoy drinking out of that dripping faucet. Um, so it's pretty fun. But there are good 13 words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, my first question is, what, what does that even mean? Um, the word spirit, the word poor, generally means lacking. Um, that seems pretty straightforward, but what about spirit? That one seems a little bit tougher. On one hand, we have team spirit, someone filled with passion for their favorite sports team. Go Mets. Or the way a player maybe contributes to the atmosphere of the team. We have spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, the inspirational animated movie from 2002. I don't remember it, but I know it's about a horse. Um, we also have spirit as a general attitude. Um, that's the spirit champ, or if you're in high spirits or low spirits. It's almost an emotion or a feeling exuding from someone in this mindset. And finally, of course, we have the spirit falling in line with the Christian vocabulary. The Holy Spirit being filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The base for the word spiritual, which we throw around so often. I don't know if we get a clear picture of exactly what Jesus is referring to at that specific moment, perhaps a combination of all of them, 
Regardless, however, I think we could agree that having spirit is generally something we want. Um, it's generally described as a positive trait. It is something we want to have, and yet here Jesus says, blessed are those lacking in spirit. And to take it even further, the, poor, the word poor here is not describing someone who is just a little low on spiritual funds. Um, the same word translated poor here, which I, I would butcher if I tried to pronounce it, it's like tohas, tohas, something like that. That's pretty close, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's also translated as beggar in other sections. Um, in the words of Dallas Willard, these people be are being described as spiritual zeros or spiritually bankrupt. And that makes sense. If we think back to the way Reed was describing how rabbis would teach during that day or how teachers would teach during that day, um, he's speaking to the disciples in front of a giant crowd, among which there are all kinds of people. He can surely point to those who are downtrodden, those sitting on the outskirts, feeling uncomfortable or unworthy to be there. But he can also point to the Decapolis, the pagans. They would certainly score a zero on the Jewish spirituality exam, and that's a big deal. Jews spend years memorizing the entirety of Torah with the goal in mind of continuing in their education and studying under a teacher. And yet, even these spiritually bankrupt people from the Decapolis are blessed, not in the future, but in the present. I can imagine that would create a bit of uncomfortability among the disciples, maybe among us as well. Do you guys ever have FOMO? Fear of missing out? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, you do. I do. Um, I know I do. I definitely did as a student. One of my roommates, Danny, uh, he could get me to do anything by just saying, come on. <laughs> just look at me like that. I didn't want to miss out. Um, our friends are doing something, and even though uh, we are tired or we have homework to do, we just don't want to miss out on a good memory, or at least we don't want to miss out on a good inside joke that will be made later. Is anyone a bit of a perfectionist? Kind of a perfectionist? Not necessarily in everything. Um, but perhaps with some things, I know I can be. I mean, it makes sense. Those things are ingrained in our society, whether it's through trends of fashion, music, TikTok videos, or through the instant availability of news at our fingertips. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? How did you not hear about this? Then there is the mindset that you are the master of your own destiny. If you just try hard enough, you can do anything. If you make enough bricks, you can build a pyramid, but if you fall short, it's your fault. Whatever the reason or influence may be, it seems natural in our logical, academic minds to look at this passage and think, man, well, I guess if these people are truly living the good life, then I must strive to be like them. But is that true? Should we strive to be poor in spirit? Seems a little strange. On the one hand, I can see a plus side. A poor spirit seemingly cannot help but to reach out to others for assistance, rather than trusting in their own ability to pull themselves up by their proverbial bootstraps. Perhaps that sets them up to depend on and trust in God rather than their own abilities or wealth. Makes me think of the conversation between the rich man and Jesus. After all, humility is great, but I don't think humility ne necessitates a poor spirit. Imagine for a second a world filled with those striving to be poor in spirit. No Chuck Nichols yelling, come on, after he sinks a bag in cornhole to win the game. No Hannah Simons getting so excited about socks and chacos and all the good things that fall has to offer. No Noah Jensen singing with his arms raised and with such gusto that he needs no microphone to be on vocals for that Sunday service. No J.J. Noah just existing on planet Earth. 
dang, what a bummer that world would be. And not only that, but if we are endlessly striving to be poor in spirit because we think that's going to punch our ticket to the party, then how is that different than the very pharisaical legalism that Jesus so often preaches against? How is that different than disfiguring your faces so that your fasting may be seen by others, as Jesus says later in chapter 6? All this to say, I don't think Jesus is calling us to strive to become poor in spirit. In other words, specifically the words of Reed Dent, Dallas Willard, and Sky Jatani, all of them, uh, these Beatitudes are not prescriptive, but descriptive. Think of a prescription, like you're getting a prescription from your doctor telling you to do something. They're not telling us to do something or prescribing a treatment plan that should be followed. Instead, they are merely offering a description of those who are blessed. A poor spirit is not rewarded because it has been achieved or possessed. It is blessed in spite of it. It is so ingrained in us that we must earn everything in life. I even have a hoodie that says everything is earned on the sleeve. It was a really good deal, and it's really comfortable, but I really hate that it says that. Um, but it's, you, can't, you can barely see it. Uh, it's just hard for us to swallow that Jesus doesn't invite the poor in spirit in because they've achieved something. He just invites them in because he wants to regardless of their position. It is an act of love. They have done nothing to receive the blessing and invitation to be part of the kingdom of heaven. I'll say that again. They have done nothing to receive this blessing and invitation to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. But I don't want you to hear what Jesus is not saying. I think it can be easy to become defensive. We could believe that if we are not poor in spirit, and if we should not work to achieve a poor spirit, then I guess we're out of luck. No blessing for us. But that just isn't the case either. The Beatitudes are not an exhaustive list of all who are blessed. If you are not poor in spirit, it is a blessing to have spirit. Think about that. Um, not to steal any of Nat's thunder for next Sunday, but while mourners, while the mourners are indeed blessed, it is of course not to be a, it is of course a blessing not to be in a state of mourning. Does it make sense to pour out continual praise on those already receiving it, while leaving those without it feeling even more isolated? It would be like taking a kid who's never played a sport before, pairing him or her up with a seasoned veteran, and then encouraging the veteran the entire time they're playing. Do you see the issue there? Of course, all are welcome to take part in the kingdom of heaven, the spirited, the unspirited, the new kid, the veteran. But Jesus is specifically reaching out to those who don't feel like they would be invited in. After all, they've never been invited to be an honored guest in the kingdom and principalities the world has set forth. As stated previously, Jesus' message is radical. He's calling worthy those the rest of society have called unworthy. And I think it is worth noting that being poor in spirit is not necessarily a permanent condition or dichotomy. Just as there is a time and a place for all things, you may go through seasons of life in which you feel poor in spirit, even if you do not at the moment. Our community is fluid after all. Are you guys familiar with Harvey Dent? This guy? From the Batman series? Yeah. Uh, spoiler, he becomes Two-Face. Sorry if you didn't know that. <laughs> really sorry. Gee whiz, I hope I just didn't ruin everything for you. Um, but before he becomes Two-Face, he's a district attorney. Okay. Um, he uses an interesting technique involving young delinquents and his silver dollar. He leaves their sentencing up to chance. Basically a coin flip. One way, they go to prison. 
the other way they get set free. Um, so here, Lydia, Michaela, come up here real fast. I need I need some participation. Okay, this has no reflection on you. You are representing poor in spirit. You are representing not poor in spirit. Okay, here's the thing. I'm gonna flip this coin. Heads, you're in. You're in the kingdom. Just wait for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll describe what that life looks like. Tails, you're out. See you later. Sorry. Next time. Ready? Ready? This is this is a 50-50 shot. Okay. This is this means a lot. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh crap! Oh crap! Well, now it's another 50-50 shot. What we got? Look at that. It's heads. Good news. Welcome to the kingdom. Go sit down. Uh, wait for the wait for further instruction from the Sermon on the Mount. Lydia, are you gonna make it? The poor in spirit made it. You're not the poor in spirit. Hmm? Okay, I'm gonna flip this coin, right? It's heads. Okay, you're fine. Good news. That was close. Gee whiz, what if it had been tails? Then they would have been out. Um, do you guys know about Harvey Dent's silver coin before he becomes Two-Face? Uh, it's actually double-sided, as is this coin. It is double-sided heads. So, um, in a way, he is basically setting, um, setting the delinquents up to believe that they have made it out through fate and to change their life. It is good news on both sides of the coin. Similarly, both sides of the beatitude are good news. On the one hand, heads are those not lacking in spirit. They're living the good life with an abundance of spirit. That's good news. On the other hand, also heads, those poor in spirit are blessed and invited to sit at the same table as the spirited ones. That's good news. For the remainder of the time, I'm going to speak to both sides of the coin individually as anything that specifies a certain group tends to naturally create a dichotomy. First, to those meeting the description of the poor in spirit, the head side, again, congratulations. This is not to say you do not have your own struggles. Of course you do. We are all blessed with the avoidance of struggles that others face. Use it well, inspire others, engage in conversations, and keep things lively. And most of all, Follow the example set by Jesus and invite those in who feel unworthy, doubtful, uninvited, and those standing on the margins looking in, lacking the confidence to take a step forward. As with all situations in life, we must look no farther than one movie to provide us some very helpful insight. The Jim Carrey version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas from the year 2000. I understand that this is my third sermon in a row in which I have referenced this movie. But I, I promise you, this time it was totally unintentional. I was just sitting in the shower thinking about this, and I said, Julie! No, I was standing in the shower <laughs> thinking about this, and I said, Julie, I think I'm going to use the Grinch again. I just like yelled this to the other. Um, I guess it's just bound to happen when it's one of the few movies that I know by heart. Um, anyway, if you've seen the movie, you may be familiar with the scene in which the Who's are celebrating Hubilation, their little celebration before Christmas. Um, so I was going to describe the clip, but it just makes way more sense for me to just show the clip because, like, I, I don't know. It just doesn't. Is it here? You need to look no further than Cindy Lou. I mean, what more could we want, really? Cindy Lou recognizes that the person 
who, should re- who really should receive the award is the one who seems least likely to receive it. Look at the reaction of the crowd and the mayor. They were flabbergasted. I wonder if Jesus encountered a similar reaction. Cindy Lou took notice of the Grinch, the empty in spirit by definition, and did not step to the other side of the road, but reached down to invite him in. If you have seen the movie, then you know what happens next. The Grinch comes, and he actually enjoys himself. He gets into the Christmas spirit. Granted, um, he does end up burning down the Christmas tree in the sound square, but... That is only after the mayor humiliates him in front of everyone by opening old scars from their childhood, the opposite of what our gentle Lord Jesus would do. He points back to the very qualities that pushed him to the margins at the beginning. We as the church are called to be the alternative to this. May we follow Cindy Lou's example. May we pay attention to those around us who are poor in spirit, whether it is temporary or long-standing. And may we find the helping hand of Jesus' disciples reaching out to us when we inevitably find ourselves in a similar state. To the other side of the coin, the poor in spirit, also the head side, I'm going to address it as though I'm writing a letter to a friend. My hope is that if you are in a similar position or going to relate in some way, you can glean something from this letter. Dear friend, I think it's strange that this is something we have gone back to this, that this is something we have gone back to multiple times through the years. I have always struggled to give you an answer, and yet here I am giving a sermon on the topic. You feel like you're going through the motions, stuck in a funk, thankful for the good days, but knowing that those where you feel stuck in a rut are right around the corner once again. You feel out of place, though those around you would never know it. You believe God must surely know what he's doing, but you just aren't sure what he is thinking, and you wish he would give you some sort of hint. You feel disconnected spiritually. You sing in church, but the words just brush up against you like a mountain in the sea, surrounded by water, but unmoved by it. Maybe if you just prayed a bit more or took out your Bible a bit more, you would feel more filled up, but it's tough to find the motivation to do that when it just brings up more questions you aren't sure how to answer. You wonder if this cycle will ever break and wonder what your purpose really is. It reminds me of a song by Trip Lee. Anybody ever heard of him? Um, It's from a song, Sweet Victory. He says, you see me limping, I know you see me limping. You can't tell on these CDs, but I'm knee deep in it. I'm waiting in my weakness, he made me dependent. I'd be lying through my teeth to say I don't resent it. Even as I write these lines, I'm close to tears. My body ain't been working right for seven years. Miss me with that keep your chin up, try to smile. I'm 26, I should feel better by a mile. Keep all your anecdotes and cute quotes. I'll pass on cliches for true hope. Maybe that's how you feel. You know me, I'm always trying to fix things, minimize the conflict, keep things positive. But I know continually saying just keep your head up does more harm than good. I don't know what to say in the moment other men, man, that sucks. I could just push it away and hope it will go away later on, but I know that's not right. However, what I can say is you are blessed. It sounds strange, I know. All this time when you have thought you needed to do more or be more, and then Jesus would look upon you and smile, you haven't needed to do anything. You are already welcomed and invited. Sure, this is not the end. It is the starting point. If you recall, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew is three chapters long. 
Jesus spends plenty of time telling us how to live out life in the kingdom we are invited to. But I think it's interesting that he starts with inclusion. In your space of doubt and displacement, you are welcome. In your apathy, you are welcome. When you feel unwelcome, you are welcome. The same God who leaves the 99 and won't relent until he has it all invites you regardless of how connected you may feel or not feel, and we are called to do the same. This is what you need to know before anything else. I know this may not instantly make everything better. The doubts will still come and the ruts shall reappear, but you're in, maybe you're in one right now, but in these states, don't let your first thought be, I need to fix this. Instead, let it be this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sorry, it's taken me so long to understand this. Your friend, Nate. There's a second half to the verse I really haven't touched much on. And don't worry, I won't spend nearly as long on the second half as on the first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Reed told us in his intro to the Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom of heaven being described here is not some far-off place that you're waiting to go to after you die. No, Jesus is referring to the new gospel and kingdom he is bringing to them. This kingdom is present at the Sermon on the Mount, and it is present here today. As we have already discussed, it looks different than the kingdoms we're used to. In this kingdom, the poor in spirit are welcomed in with open arms, invited to sit at the same table as those rich in spirit, neither above the other, but existing in a community that encourages and sharpens one another. I know I spoke to both sides of the coin as though a great dichotomy exists, but in reality, the kingdom is a community table where Jesus and the radical love he exemplified sits at the center. My question, I guess, is do we embody that? Do we seek out and invite in the poor and the poor in spirit, calling them blessed without feeling an air of superiority or without, without a fear of missing out on the blessing? Are we more like Cindy Lou or the mayor of Whoville? Are we bringing the kingdom of heaven here, or are we treating it as a far-off destination? May we bring Jesus' radical kingdom here in Violet Hall 1000, here at Truman, here in Kirksville, here in the kingdom we call America, and here on the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we are thankful that you do not operate the way that we do and that your kingdom does not operate the way we would expect it to. We thank you that you invite in those who feel uninvited, those who the world has pushed out. May we do the same. Um, may we bless those poor in spirit. May we bless those on the margins. And may we not feel slighted or defensive um, because all are welcome. But um, may we reach out. May we love. Um, may we be more like you. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for all of those here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>